on everybody. I am Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message for today, June 10th, 2021. Subscribe, tap the notification bell, share the videos, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we are mostly doing a Q&A today. I got uh, a gajillion, that was the technical number, a gajillion questions at rubinreport.locals.com. They're all over the place, personal, political, cultural, all that good stuff. Uh, so we're gonna mix it up with that. Uh, I should tell you guys that I mentioned at the top of the show yesterday that uh, I had visited the dentist yesterday morning. I was having some some tooth pain. I think right after I leave this, I have an appointment at 1.30, I'm gonna be getting an emergency root canal today. I am in a lot of pain right now, a lot of pressure. My head might explode, which I think in terms of views and virality would be pretty good. If my head just absolutely exploded while on camera, that would be pretty good. But I'm, I'm in a degree of pain. My guy said, Dave, Dave, you work hard. Don't do the show today. Relax. It hurts to talk, to smile. I said, no, we must give the people what they want. And actually more than anything else, I really wanted to share this video that we're gonna start off with. So, uh, you know, this whole week, the main story that I've been talking about is this journalist from the New York Times, Mara Gay, who's implied that I host a lot of white supremacists on this show and in addition to a bunch of other trash that the New York Times has said about me. Well, anyway, she was in Long Island, which is where I'm from and grew up, and she saw American flags on trucks and she thought that that was somehow a sign of white supremacy or Trump's taking over again or some other horrible thing. The Sith are here, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, of course, it's not that. People uh, post the American flag because they're happy that they live in America. It's a pretty spectacular place. and. Uh, yeah, it's a, little, it's a little iffy at the moment, but I think the Great American Comeback is coming. Uh, well, in any event, uh, yesterday, uh, I believe it was game six of the Islanders-Bruins hockey game at Nassau Coliseum, which is about 15 minutes away from where I grew up. Uh, a singer-songwriter by the name of Nicole Revive was singing the national anthem, and basically the entire freaking place just blew up singing with her, and I literally got shivers tingle up the spine while I was watching it. Little numbness in the mouth, but tingle up the spine. And I wanna share that video with you guys and just show you like caring about America and being proud of this country and patriotic has nothing to do with hatred or white supremacy or any of, of the other nonsensical things that the people at the New York Times uh, like to believe. Uh, before we get to all of that, I wanna talk to you guys about Bambi. You know, when running a business, HR issues can kill you wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, the list goes on and on, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap at an average of 70,000 bucks a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, -E, was created specifically for your small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can transform HR from your biggest liability to your greatest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, -day, all for just $99 a month, month to month. No hidden fees, cancel any time. And if you're like me, then I bet you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend all of your time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Ruben right now to get that free. HR audit, that's Bambi.com slash Ruben, spelled BAM to the B-E-E.com slash Ruben. And now back to me. I should tell you guys that uh, the reason I think I have to get this freaking root canal is when I was about 11 years old, uh, we, we had a babysitter, me and my brother, and the babysitter was a guy who was probably like, 
I don't know, 15, 16, seems old to me, but probably about 15, 16. And we were pillow boxing, basically just wrapping up pillows in, in pillowcases and just beating the crap out of each other. And he whacked me over the head and my face hit like the formica around the bed, cracked my two front teeth, adult teeth, and basically pretty much destroyed them. So these bad boys over here, these are crowns. These were, these were not cheap. And now one of them seems to be, uh, seems to be going. So uh, it's a lot of pressure. I feel like something's not right with my mouth right now. I don't know if you guys can see it, but I feel, I feel an intense pressure. Anyway, moving along from teeth and dental hygiene. And by the way, uh, brush twice a day, everybody. Very important, brush twice a day. Sometimes I brush three times a day. Sometimes I always brush in the morning. Sometimes a little bit after the show, I've got my guys here around three o'clock. People are working. I always feel, you know, why not a, a second brush? And then of course, I like to brush at night. All right, uh, so as I just said, at Long Island's Nassau Coliseum, and I grew up in Long Island, spent my formative years in Long Island. Uh, it was game six, I believe, of the Islanders Bruins Hockey game, I'm not a big hockey guy, although I'm kind of a hockey guy after watching this. And Nicole Raviv was singing the national anthem, and we're gonna show you the full thing, because it's just spectacular. And you know the last couple of days I've been saying, oh, I feel like there's sort of like an American rebirth, and like we can turn the corner on this stuff, and we can start feeling good about America and everything else. Well, just watch this, and it makes me proud to be a Long Islander, and that's the New York I know, what you're about to see right here. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting tonight's colors is the New York State University Police. And now, please join Nicole Revive as we sing together our national anthem. Oh, sir, can you see by the dawn's early light what's so proud? I mean, tell me that is not beautiful. Tell me you didn't get shivers up your spine. I did again, I've watched it about 10 times right now. Connor and Michael both said the exact same thing. That's what it's all about. That has nothing to do with white supremacy or racism or some of the other delusional thoughts that these New York Times journalists have, okay? Those are people who love their country. Long Island is, is in some ways sort of like the heart of New York because as I said yesterday, it's about you know, 45 minutes or so outside, the heart of Long Island, sort of outside of New York City. You get this great multicultural, multi-ethnic group of people, blue collar, white collar, you know, second, third, fourth generation Americans. It's just, I, that makes me so proud to be where I'm from and be proud to be an American. 
And that's how we will beat this thing. That's how we will beat this thing. It's not through politicians coming in and fixing it. And it's not through celebrities uh, making videos to tell us what's right and wrong or any of that other stuff. It's that we the people, that's we the people, and we will fix this thing. And, and how refreshing just to feel good about America, right? For all of those people to be in that room together spontaneously singing, and you can see sort of the way that she, you know, she puts the mic down, she wants them to have that experience. Actually, it reminded me a little bit, just a, just a tiny, tiny bit, of when I was on tour with Jordan Peterson, and the, at the beginning, when I was always warming up the crowd, I would want people, I would make a point of saying, hey, look around, guys, you're in a room with thousands of other people, and they kinda think something about the world that's kinda close to the way you think about the world, and that's pretty awesome. That's how we will rebuild these bonds. So as the, as the country opens up, like, let's be proud of who we are. Let's fight for America. And I'm so proud to be from Long Island, the place of bagels and pizza and the American flag. Or as they would say in the New York Times, you know, real right-wing, racist, bigoted, homophobic, white supremacist stuff. Okay, let's get to a Q&A. You guys submitted a ton of questions at rubenreport.locals. Dot com. I will plow through as many as I can. And again, if my head explodes and there's just blood dripping everywhere and just a, you know, a carcass with an exploded head, I apologize in advance. Mm. Mm. Okay, here we go. Uh, Blake says, hey Dave, what do you think about employers making vaccines mandatory or penalizing people who choose not to get the vaccine? I mean, I would be completely against it. Now look, I suppose at some level as an employer, I guess, I mean, well, first off, this would have to deal with like HIPAA laws and, and states have different laws related to medical privacy and all sorts of things. You know, we do also have uh, amendments that defend our ability to uh, have the right to privacy and that sort of thing. I know that's old school. That's old school stuff. Um, I suppose at some level, maybe depending on the type of business it was, I guess you could kind of Oh, I don't know about forcing, no, I, I can't get behind that. I can't get behind an employer forcing anyone to do anything with their body. That just seems fundamentally wrong to me. I was trying to give a little leash in this answer. I was thinking about it for a second. I usually just glance at the questions real quick and I was trying to give a little bit of a leash of like, all right, if you, you know, because I wanna respect the, the business person's ability to run the business as he or she uh, sees fit but something, something ain't right about this. So I, first, I don't really think it's your business. I don't think it's anyone's business whether or not you've had the vaccine. I think if you want to get the vaccine, you should get the vaccine. If you want to wear a mask, you should, get, you should wear the mask and take whatever other precautions there are. But this idea that suddenly we're not gonna hire people based on their vaccination status or that we're gonna have vaccine passports or some people will have separate but equal sitting areas in, in stadiums and all sorts of stuff. This is really, really just dangerous stuff. It seems by and large at this point, as I talk to you in, the, in early to mid June of 2021, that a year and a half after two weeks to flatten the curve, COVID has run through the system. Whatever it needed to do politically and socially and culturally, it did. We're sort of more banged up and maybe unsure of ourselves as a, as a, as a human race and as a nation and as a, world because of it, um, but it does seem like it's mostly behind us now. There's gonna be a certain set of people who will wanna use it continually as a crudgel over everybody else, but I think you have to make choices for yourself and your family. I, I, and I know that's a little messy, and I know people get angry over me, uh, angry at me over that, you know, that, oh, you're not looking out for your common man. Um, but I think your responsibility 
is to yourself first and everyone should do whatever they think is best for themselves. And I and really, I'll, I'll just end with this, I think if that's how we had treated this thing from the beginning, that right at the beginning we had all said, if you wanna wear a mask, wear a mask. You know, Businesses can say to people, we want you to wear masks when, when you're in here. We're not gonna lock everything down. You know, Hopefully we'll have a vaccine soon enough. If we had left far more to human choice rather than giant government organizations who destroyed the economy in America and destroyed so much of the fabric of America, I think we'd be far better off. So that's all I think about that. Uh, Jill says, have you reached out to Donald J. Trump to try to convince him to start a locals community. Um, uh, let's take the next question. Matt says, uh, the answer to that is, look, we're, we're, we've built something really great with locals. I'm super proud of it. As you guys know, we got some great investment from some true innovators and, and we're, we're working on so many cool things. We're gonna have live video streaming. We just tested it out for the first time. Uh, this week in the Ruben Report community where I'll just be able to talk directly to my locals people. They'll be able to comment live. Like basically we're doing, you know, what is YouTube super chat where YouTube takes like 60% of the money or something. Uh, it'll all be free within the within the local subscription. We're figuring out a few other things within that. Um, but we're just, we're working on decentralized storage and decentralized payments and we're onboarding more people and, and there's a lot of good things going on. So if I was a guy like Donald Trump, I would be interested in such a thing, just saying. Uh, Matt says, thoughts on a red wave in the 2022 midterm elections. Are we witnessing that in the New York mayoral race, the most moderate Democrat candidates are polling the highest? So I haven't paid a tremendous amount of attention to the New York uh, mayoral race. As I said, I grew up in Long Island, but most of my adult life, I lived in New York City. I lived on the Upper East uh, for a couple years uh, during 9-11, right around those years, late 90s, early 2000s. And then I lived on the Upper West Basically, if you've ever watched an episode of Seinfeld, my entire life took place exactly where that show took place. And Jerry Seinfeld actually, in real life, lived like a, a block away from me. But all the, the outdoor, you know, when they'd show you like the restaurant canopies and all the stores and all that stuff, it was, it, that was the three blocks that, that I lived in. Um, and I love New York City. I haven't paid much attention to it because in many ways, I think New York City is lost. The progressives have destroyed New York City. And I'm not even gonna say the progressives. Bill de Blasio is a communist Marxist moron who has ruined the greatest city on earth. And you gotta give credit where credit's due. It's not easy to ruin something so spectacular. But Bill de Blasio has done it. When I was in New York City a couple weeks ago, it, it did not feel like New York City. It felt like a halfway through I am legend. I really was looking for a tiger and Will Smith running around trying to shoot him and some zombies chasing him. Like it was just an absolute disaster. I hope New York City can come back, but the, the, the woke virus has infected the bluest cities. And because of the proximity of New York City, where you know, a place like LA, you know, one of the saving graces of LA that can at least keep me here a little bit longer as we're trying to figure some things out, is that Los Angeles is a sprawling, sprawling city. New York City is built on top of itself in essence. You know, you've got Manhattan and you've got Brooklyn and the Bronx at Queens, et cetera, et cetera, but it's huge buildings all on top of each other. That lifestyle doesn't seem like it's really gonna work in the future anymore. Um, so anyway, as for a red wave in 2022, I, 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 don't, I don't pray over politics, but I would pray that that is what would happen uh, because we must get these Democrats and these socialists out of office if, if America is to continue. So that's number one. As far as New York, look, 
Will the New Yorkers make the right choice? I mean, I know that there's uh, uh, Eric Adams is the retired police officer who's running. He's leading right now at about 22%. There's a lot of candidates. I think Yang is around 16%. You know, those are sort of somewhat moderate Dems, but we know what happens with moderate Dems. They always get pulled to their worst parts. I mean, look at the Democratic Party right now. Look at Joe Biden. He was supposed to be the moderate, but he's been pulled further to the left. So. I don't know, is there any real hope? The, the hope would be that at some point you hit such rock bottom that then you bring in conservatives. I, it's such an odd thing for me to have to argue at this point, but that's exactly what happened to New York City. I remember going there. My, my uh, grandma lived in New York City when I was a kid. I had great grandparents that lived in New York City. I remember going as a kid and thinking, who would ever wanna live here? It's such a disgusting, dirty, smelly, gross place. You know, you'd get, drive through the Midtown Tunnel coming from Long Island, and there'd be homeless people washing your windows with dirty newspapers, and it was just kind of gross. And that was under, at the time, that was sort of at the end of Ed Koch, who actually was a decent Democrat. And then we had a couple of years of Mayor uh, Dinkins, who David Dinkins, who was a progressive, basically destroyed New York City. And then you know what happened? That scary right-wing conservative, Rudy Giuliani, came in and suddenly the homeless problem was solved and businesses were flourishing and Times Square went from being a den of prostitution and drugs to a den of Disney, which is another type of prostitution and drugs, but it's a little bit cleaner. So, uh, you know, we need conservatives to fix these things because Democrats ain't gonna do it. So I don't have, I would say I'm long on New York as a city. Uh, I would play the long game on it, but short term, I think they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, Leon says, what are your top three favorite movies that you enjoy watching through the years? Total Recall by far, Schwarzenegger at his best. It's a Philip K. Dick story. I absolutely freaking love that movie. I could watch it over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, and you know, I'll pick two movies that we watched as part of the, the Ruben Report Locals community. We did, we've done a couple movie nights where we watch movies together and we can chat throughout and then we do a video chat after. Uh, I would say Contact uh, with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey came out in 97, uh, written by Carl Sagan. Uh, who of course was, was the great astrophysicist and science communicator. It's his only work of fiction. I've talked about it a couple of times. If you haven't seen it, it's just a wonder, it's a sci-fi movie, but based in reality. And it talks about, it's very relevant to what's happening right now, like sort of religion versus atheism and secularism and political motivations. And it's just, it's just a spectacularly uh, wonderful movie. And then the other one that everyone should watch again, because it's so, uh, it's so explanatory of what's happening right now, is V for Vendetta, which is just such a freaking great movie. Natalie Portman's in it. It's the, it's the guys, or I guess they're girls now, but it's the, it's the, guy, the guy girls that did uh, The Matrix. Uh, they were uh, the Wachowski brothers, and I guess they're the Wachowski sisters now, or whatever, whatever, it's all good. Wh whatever, whatever works for you gals. Um, but they did V for Vendetta, and it's just a great movie, which has a little something to do with a virus that spreads through a society, and then as the virus starts spreading, Politicians start using more and more power. Next thing you know, they're watching everything their citizens do. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Jamie says, hey Dave, I hear you red-pilled your brother-in-law recently. Can you give me some of the steps that I can follow to do the same for my friends? I mean, I get so many versions of this question. I've been working on you know, my brother-in-law, who's just a, he's just a great, decent, apolitical guy. He doesn't care about politics. He's just a decent human being. And I've been working on him for a long time. And the steps, well, in this case, I sort of finished it off after years because we were in the hot tub and we had some tequila. And I find if you want to red pill somebody, a little tequila is going to go a long way. Um, but basically, the basics of it were he's a, he's a small business owner and I, we got into a lot of stuff related to taxes and regulation and his ability to grow his business. And he started seeing 
He had to see it for himself. I mean, that's, I guess, the answer. You, the best way to red pill people is to let them see the truth for themselves. He started seeing that it was the policies of the Democrats that were taxing him more, it was that which were then stopping him from being able to grow his business appropriately. So I think the real answer is if you can get somebody to see something that really affects them, wait a minute, you wanna own a business? Well, wouldn't you want as much of the money of that business so you could grow that business and hire more people and buy more inventory and do more things, whatever it might be? Uh, or do you think that if you just give enough money away to some machine above you, that that machine will be good to you? So it had a few other underlying things to that. You know, he he didn't fully realize, I think, until recently that the Republicans have moved on the on the gay marriage thing. Um, and then there were a few other things like that. Um, it's just, just get them to see something for themselves. And if you can get them, once you can get them to see, you know, the thing about the truth is that if, if the truth is there, the truth is in front of us, right? And you just gotta get somebody to be able to see it. And once they can see a little glimmer of it, they'll go to it themselves. So uh, that's the best way to do it, I think. Peter says, comments on Italy's proposed bill to ban communism, good or bad idea? I just did a quick uh, Google on this. Um, look, as a general rule, would I want governments to be banning a set of ideas? Probably not, right? Like, I wouldn't want them to ban an idea that just because I didn't like it, and then of course, who watches the watchers? You know, who is the one to say what ideas they can ban and what can't they ban? I would liken this in an American context to what's going on with critical race theory. I don't want the government to ban discussion about critical race theory. You should be able to talk about it however you want. Uh, but I don't have a major problem with the government, with state governments, which is what's happening right now in large part to my friend Chris Rufo, who's doing an incredible job, going into these states and saying, we are gonna ban the idea of, of teaching critical race theory in schools. The same way you wouldn't want them to learn about Nazi, you can learn about what the Nazis did, but you wouldn't want to be promoting the ideas of Nazism in school. I think most people would agree, although actually Nazism and critical race theory are kind of similar to each other in that they're race essentialists and that we're gonna peg people by their race. Um, so I think you have to be careful here because you know, okay, you could say we're gonna ban communism. Well, what other ideas are you gonna ban around that? So I would need to know a little bit more. Are they banning it in schools? Are they banning like all discussion of it? Are they gonna ban it on television? Things of that nature. You gotta, you gotta watch out for the, for the slippery slope. Um, but all of that said, and, and this is maybe why I'm not a pure libertarian, Countries have to defend themselves. I think one of the weaknesses of America right now is where are all the good people who are really willing to stand up for America? That's why that video of, of seeing all those people proudly singing the national anthem is so magical and mystical because it's like, where is that feeling? Where is that feeling of, of Rocky Balboa going to Moscow on Christmas day to fight Ivan Drago? Like, where is that spirit? Like, we need that spirit back. And, and part of that spirit is knowing what you stand for and what you stand against. And communism and Marxism and wokeism, these are collectivist ideas that are against the very idea of freedom and individual rights. James says, any post-COVID lockdown vacation plans this summer? Well, you know, we do the August off the grid situation. We haven't had a moment to figure it out yet. Um, we're trying to, you know, usually we go away for a little bit, like a week at least last year because of COVID and everything else. We actually moved, right? even though we just moved in LA, it was, you know, a move is a lot. It's just like a lot of stuff. So we didn't go anywhere. You know, for me, even though there's a lot of places I would love to go, I really, I would love to go to Greece. I would love, I really wanna go to Japan, probably more than anything else. I'd love to go back to Australia. Um, there's, there's a bunch of places that I would love to go to. 
But when, when I do the off the grid thing, like for me, like I, the purpose of it is to put down all of the craziness and, and let my head just kind of reset and, and, you know, give me a little space to think. And I think that's partly why I haven't gone crazy over the last couple of years. A lot of people that do something like this for a living really lost their minds. A lot of people, you know, Trump caused people to go crazy and, and people just really flip their wigs. And I think, you know, for me, like sitting on a beach, if, when I sit on a beach, I don't even need to read sometimes. Like I, I try to use August to catch up on reading, but I could do like four days on a beach. I could do probably 10 days on a beach and I could just sit there all day. David will be next to me and he's reading or doing crosswords or something. And he's like, you're just gonna sit there and stare at the ocean. And I'm like, yes, that is exactly what I'm gonna do. So I'm not sure yet, but we'll, we'll let you guys know. Uh, Jay says, as a gay man, well, thus I must speak for all gay people. How do you push back against reverting to the outrageous stereotypes being pushed on society and specifically children? I'm actually embarrassed to call myself gay, not because I'm insecure or anything like that, but because people now equate being gay as being for drag queen story hour and believing that men uh, can be women and so on. Are we going backwards? This is a great question. Um, and I talked a little bit about this with my guest this week, uh, Ariel Scarcella who's a card-carrying lesbian. I always say card-carrying lesbian because I feel like when you're a lesbian, they give you a card. They laminate it, you're a lesbian, you get a card. Um, I think this is a great point. You know, look, I happen to be gay. I don't think it's actually that interesting. Uh, David and I have been together for 10 years, which in straight years is like 40 years already. We've been married for, uh, it'll be this year, it'll be six years. Um, we live a very normal life, I think, other than we happen to be two dudes. I know some people aren't thrilled with that, some people really like it. Some people like to pretend that they like it. Some people want to use it as power over us. Uh, but we just we just kind of live our lives. And I think that's really the heart of what you're getting to too. I was never really into the gay culture. I was never really into, like I can't really dance. I dance like Bill Cosby, which could be kind of funny maybe 10 years ago, but then he came out as the biggest serial rapist of all time. And then if you're dancing like Bill Cosby, people think something else. So that's no good. Um, I was never into drag shows. I actually always hated drag shows because, you know, I came from stand-up comedy and drag queens all, all uh, beyond like I found like, as Gad Sad would say, like an aesthetic injury with most drag queens. Like I don't need to see a guy dressed as a woman who has huge thighs and a hairy bush like singing, you know, share songs. Um, I just was never into that. And they all seemed like hack comedians to me. Um, so I was never, you know, but that being said, I, I, once I came out, I did enjoy for five or six years going to gay pride. Actually, my, my birthday, which is June 26, Gay Pride in New York City always falls on the last Sunday of June. So every couple of years it would be on my birthday. And actually David and I met on my birthday at Gay Pride in New York City and he was wearing an American flag tank top. So I suppose it was meant to be. Um, but yes, I could see why a lot of gay people right now, and by the way, I do hear a lot of this. So I totally hear you on this question. Are, are really upset because most gay people just wanted equality and then go about live their lives, right? And not make this about drag queen story hour or boys or girls or girls or boys or all this other nonsense. And we just want it to be left alone. Like that's the beauty of equality. Once you get equality, then you could just be left alone. But the gay rights thing, GLAD and the HRC and all of their corporate backers, they, they don't wanna give it up because they, they want their minorities oppressed. I mean, this is an obvious parallel to what's going on with black people right now. They need them to view themselves as oppressed. But I could see, I, I, I have no doubt that I'm gonna get shit for this. I could see the average person who is not a homophobe and doesn't care about gay people watching Drag Queen Story Hour, watching the propaganda that they put 
uh, you know, to push kids into transitioning and the rest of it, and then starting to become slightly anti-gay. Not because they have anything against gay people, but they think that the movement somehow represents more than the gay individuals, and that's a huge problem. So I don't know, I guess we just need more like decent gay people to, to stand up against it. Um, are we going backwards though was your question. And I would say in some way, yes, when you, once you've got equality, well then the activists have to put down the mantle. You're allowed to say, guys, we gotta win. We're good, thank you everybody. Uh, we're gonna go find something else productive to do in life. But activists always have to have smaller and smaller problems once you get to equality. And that's the difference between equality and equity. Uh, Storm says, how bad of an action does the Biden administration have to do before corporate media starts pressing them? I, I would say there's almost nothing. There's almost nothing that Biden could do um, that the corporate media would turn on him pretty much because he's good in their eyes and Trump and the Republicans are evil. And, and it really sucks to end up seeing the world that way. And I think it's part of the red pill situation but there's nothing that, you know, there's just nothing. Trump, when Trump was president, no matter what Trump did every day, he had, he had ice cream, he ate ketchup with steak, blah, blah, blah. Biden's son is a crack addict. And by the way, I am sympathetic to someone with a drug addiction, but you know, he's saying the N word in texts and nobody's covering it. Again, I don't care about specific language. I don't even think that necessarily makes him racist or anything else but the media is protecting him. It's a, it's a protection racket. It's like a mafia style protection racket between corporate media and the Democrats. And, and that was Trump's greatest insight perhaps into the world was you have to fight both those things at once. And uh, it's kind of sucky if you're on the outside, but don't think mainstream media is gonna come around. Like Stelter and Acosta and Blitzer and Tapper, these all sound, they, they all sound like reindeer. Um, <laughs> Uh, like these guys aren't coming around. NBC News is not coming around. The New York Times has been rotted from the inside. It's not coming around. Like once you know that, then you can plot a course going forward. Uh, Curtis says, Dave, since you and David are into food, have you considered giving a tour of your kitchen so we can see your appliances and food related gear? Seeing your outdoor grill and setup would be great too. Uh, I have posted a little bit more of that in the locals community. So you might've seen, you know, I do a little more like the personal stuff in there, obviously. Um, well, I'll tell you this, David is working on a cookbook. Um, and so we've been testing a lot of recipes and I'm, I'm super psyched for this to come out because that's really what his passion is. And it's what got me really into food and grilling and all of that stuff. Um, we have a great new sponsor, I think starting with us next week that just sent us like a ton ton of meat, so I'll be doing more of that. Uh, you can go to davidscookbook.com and see a bunch of David's recipes now. Some of them will be included in the cookbook um, and you can just see some of the great stuff. And it's also, um, it's instagram.com slash davidscookbook if you wanna see more of that kind of stuff. And yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do more where we'll show me grilling. I like showing people like what kind of wine I'm drinking when I'm, when I'm doing the, the grilling and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, that's, well, that's honestly why I love the Ruben Report community so much because I think we're doing something really nice related to connecting with people and making social media social again. You know, someone in the community the other day, I'm not even gonna mention the username, it doesn't matter, uh, but said that they were struggling financially, they had a couple things going on and they were in between jobs and they were waiting to get paid for something. And I immediately, I, I pay, Venmoed them some money and then I posted it in the community and, and they were taken care of. And it's great. It's like, we're, we're really building something great there. So I know if you've submitted a question here, you're in the community already, but if you're watching this and you haven't, it's like, there's a whole other internet existing 
that has nothing to do with all of the bots and the trolls and the evil. Uh, and please do join us at rubenreport.locals.com. Cheryl says, uh, still super curious about how when you and David navigated the political metamorphosis, did he change on the same timeline as you did? Were you at odds at any point? You know, it's funny. So David's a couple years younger than me. And when we lived in New York City, when I was absolutely a lefty, this was even before I was on the Young Turks because I didn't uh, join the Young Turks until 2013 when we moved to LA. So I was still a lefty, had a show on Sirius XM, and David and I would be talking about stuff. And I would always say to him, I'd be like, you know, you're a, you're a Republican. I think you're a Republican. It was like a running joke with me. You're, you're a little conservative, aren't you? Because he had never had a credit card when he was growing up. His dad didn't believe in just racking up debt and that sort of thing. So David never had a credit card. And he couldn't believe, I remember we were going to buy a TV, like a flat screen TV. It was gonna be like a thousand bucks. We didn't have a lot of cash. And, and I was gonna put it on a credit card and like, you know, pay over months. And he could not believe that you could do that sort of thing. Like, why would you spend money you don't have? What you should do is, I remember exactly where we were. We were on Columbus in about 82nd, walking down on the left side of the street. Uh, and he was like, well, wait a minute, why would you spend money on, you know, if you don't have that money, you save it up and then you get the TV. And I was like, oh, and then we'd start talking about taxes because finally he had his first job in New York City. He was getting paid a little bit more, suddenly starting to see what's going on there. So we did sort of evolve in the same way. I would also say, you know, he's not, he's just a good human being. He's not hyper-political. I think he's, you know, been sort of sucked into the political world because I'm in the political world. So when we have a lot of dinners, there's usually a lot of political people and, and people that you know and politicians and all that. And I think he really enjoys it. And he, but he enjoys like, you know, we host the dinners. So to get to the earlier question, like he loves cooking for these people, talking about that kind of stuff. Um, and we've just, we've just kind of been on the adventure together. And uh, you know, you see, I say this to him a lot, you know, when you see people that are supposed to be married and then you see people that aren't supposed to be married and when you see people that are supposed to be married, it's like, it's kind of easy. It's just kind of moving along. And there's like a certain mutual respect and like, like I get a kick out of you, a little Frank Sinatra, right? I always play that song uh, and I'm always like, I get a kick out of you. Like that's why we're doing this this thing here. That's why we're trying to build a life and a family together. And then you see some couples that it's like, they're just like constantly trying to undermine and destroy each other. And it's like, guys, like, you know, maybe there's some other options here. Uh, Janelle says, what do you think the chances are that a lawsuit is brought against the NIH, WHO, CDC, big tech, uh, health and homeland security uh, for wrongful deaths, violations uh, of the Hippocratic Oath, et cetera? Yeah, you know, I've been saying for a while, probably about a year, that I think one of the things that we're gonna see over the next couple of years is a lot of lawsuits. Like, I think you're gonna see people rightfully suing Gavin Newsom, suing uh, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, suing uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York, like these people who did not follow science, who we know that the lockdowns had nothing to do with stopping COVID, who destroyed lives, they, they broke people. They broke people. That's one of the things that I, I'm usually thinking when I'm, when I'm out and about here in LA, and today's what, the, today's the 10th? Is that right? Today's June 10th. So we're still technically not fully open for five days. And so when I go to the, the supermarket still, they make you put a mask on. And I usually, I say to the girl, Are we, do we really have to do it? And she's like, I don't wanna do it, but we have to do it. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get in there and fight with somebody, right? Um, but you see all these people still wearing masks and I see people still with masks walking the dog and the rest of it. And by the way, it's changing a little bit now. Um, but when you see it, you, you think, man, they broke people. They broke people psychologically and you can't blame all of the people. So sometimes I'm kind of, I'll see like a group of young people with masks outdoors and I'm kind of angry at them. And, and then I'm like, no, I got to step back for a sec. Like we shouldn't be angry at them. We should be the, angry at the people who did this. So I think when we find out all sorts of things, you know, more information on 
Cuomo sending elderly sick people back into nursing homes, when we find out lockdowns didn't do anything, when we find out, you said violation of Hippocratic Oath, that doctors didn't perform certain surgeries, like like all sorts of stuff. It would suck to en- be in a endless, um, an endless box, basically, of lawsuits, but I think we some lawsuits are probably necessary here. Like, Fauci probably has to, well, he just needs to retire, just retire. Uh, Dave says, given the state of affairs of today, what does America look like when you and, uh, when you're and David's kids graduate from high school? Man, I, uh, I have no idea. Actually, I will give a little personal update on that that I uh, haven't mentioned yet. So as you know, a few months ago, our surrogate had a miscarriage. Um, she actually had a second miscarriage uh, just about two weeks ago, which obviously is, you know, just sucks beyond belief. Um, and unfortunately, we can't use her as a surrogate anymore. So we'll, we're on the hunt again on, on that front. We've got, we've got embryos, we've got eggs, we're, we're good on that front. Um, you know, there's been a lot. I, I've heard a lot of people having miscarriages in this past year and uh, you know, what a, what a whacked out uh, year it's been. But so we, we are on that, that path and it, and it will happen. And uh, you know, it's my 45th birthday at the end of the month and I got this torn ACL and I got something going out my shoulder and now I got a freaking, uh, <laughs> this is like my retirement show. Um, I've got this toothache. I, you know, I want to be able to play catch with this kid, so we're, we're trying to do it as quickly as possible. But your question about what do you think America will look like when the kids graduate high school? I mean, look, that could be let's say you know 18 years from now. So we're rolling into almost 2040. I don't know. I hope that America has stood up for itself and fought for itself. I think the world will look extraordinarily different. Uh, will America still be the superpower? Will America be the superpower in two years? Are we even the superpower now? I don't know. Uh, will we be sending people off world? Probably. Um, you know, what will the confluence of the internet and reality as they continue to crash into each other, you know, are basically we just the batteries in the matrix? Like there's so many things, it's unimaginable. Uh, but I will say there's no way in high hell that we're sending our children to public school uh, because I don't want them brainwashed. And I know that CRT is affecting a lot of uh, private schools, a lot of friends here in LA who you know, are wealthy and well-to-do and care about their kids' education, and they're seeing it now hit the, the private schools as well. Um, so we've got, we've got work to do. Uh, Nathan says, hi Dave, have you thought about making plans for a speaking event or meetup in my great peach state of Georgia? I would love to get to Georgia. I've only been to uh, Georgia a couple times and really just Atlanta. I was on tour with Jordan Peterson there. I'd done a couple speaking gigs in the Atlanta area. Actually, one of the, one of the truly best nights of the tour with Jordan uh, was in Atlanta. We were at, um, I don't know what theater it was. Could you maybe Google it real quick? Jordan Peterson Atlanta Theater. It was a really old school Southern theater. It was really cool. And what I remember about it was, you know, some theaters are really sort of deep that way. Some theaters, you're gonna see more people this way. Some theaters are very high. This was somewhat of a shallow theater with, uh, and it was kind of high and it felt like we were just like in this box. It was very intense. Yes, the Tabernacle. Atlanta, and it was just like old school. Can you see what year it was built maybe? It was just an awesome, awesome theater. And it was Jordan's birthday that night, and we got the entire audience. I brought out a, uh, well, we didn't want to bring out a cake because he was on the the meat diet, so we brought out a raw steak, put a candle in it, and we had about, I don't know, 3,000 people singing happy birthday. It was an awesome night. It was built in 1911. Great theater. All right, last question. Here we go. Give me a little roll there, Michael. Kate, I'm a Golden Girls disciple and recently had the pleasure of watching the series again. What are some of your favorite episodes or moments between the ladies? You're keeping it light for me, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, you guys know I love the Golden Girls. It was one of my sort of formative 
comedy things. I remember 1985, I, you know, how old am I, I'm nine or something, watching it till I remember the night it went off the air in 1992. I was so sad, Dorothy marries uh, Blanche's Uncle Lucas, played by Leslie Nielsen from Naked Gun, who was like my favorite comic actor, so I was happy about that, but I was so sad it went off air. And then it had a year on CBS after being on NBC where it was Golden Palace, where the other three gals ran a hotel, and my God, it, it, it was horrible, <laughs> like absolutely horrible. I actually once went at USC, right when I moved to LA, uh, I went to a thing where the creators of the Golden Girls were there, and they were talking about the Golden Girls, and Betty White was there, it was pretty cool. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Danny Thomas's son, who was one of the original directors. I can't think of his name. Tony Thomas? Yeah, Tony Thomas. Uh, someone asked him about Golden Palace, and he goes, ugh, that Fakakta show, it was just an absolute nightmare. But the Golden Girls is just great. They dealt with social issues. They de it was just funny, you know, to hear older women talking about sex, and the actresses were all spectacular. It was, it was just... It's just a perfect, perfect show. It still stands up. You know, a lot of these shows don't stand the test of time. It still does. I'll give you one, one scene that I think really encapsulates why the show was so great. There was a uh, two-part, uh, well, it wasn't a two-part episode, but there were two episodes dealing with Blanche's brother, Clayton. And Clayton comes out as gay. And in the first episode where he comes out, first off, you meet this guy, Clayton, and he just seemed like a normal guy, that he wasn't a flamboyant, whatever, and not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but that's a little Seinfeld reference for you. But he, I remember watching it thinking, oh, he was just this normal guy and he had been married to a woman and then he came out and he was later in life. He comes out and they, they really deal with it in a mature way. And then about a season later, he comes back and now he's getting married to Doug. And Doug is a cop. You would have no idea he's gay. So you have these two sort of very normal, and I, when I say normal, I don't mean that normal is so spectacular, but just like regular people, regular decent human beings, Clayton and Doug the cop, and they're getting married. Now, first off, this is 1991, I think, NBC, eight o'clock primetime, and they're talking about gay marriage, even though it wasn't for another almost 30 years that gay marriage got legalized, especially in Florida. Florida didn't do it by the states, as some of them did. Obviously, Florida was because of the Supreme Court decision, but they, they go through the whole episode. They have this interesting debate about gay marriage and all of this stuff. And I don't, this was early on in my life, like I don't even know that I was thinking about any of this stuff, but I'll give you the line that to me just, just so captures why the show was so great. Uh, uh, Blanche is talking to Clayton about Doug and she's like, I don't understand why you wanna marry this guy. Like, can't you be gay but not marry this guy? And Clayton, and he's got a Southern accent, the Southern drawl, he looks at her and he says, you know, I'd do anything for Doug and Doug would bend over backwards for me that is a gay sex joke that was played on NBC primetime, 1991, eight o'clock, one of the biggest shows in the country. And it was, it was a joke. First off, it's funny, like that's just funny. But it was also saying something about life and reality and people and all of those things. So that's what a truly good show can do, right? It can make you laugh and it can hopefully do something that's relevant culturally and socially and all that stuff. So that's, that's just one of my favorite episodes. I'll give you a couple other favorite episodes real quick. Uh, Case of the Libertine Bell, which I believe is uh, se uh, season seven, maybe episode two, where they go to the murder mystery thing, is an absolute classic. And, uh, and I'll give you the most underrated episode ever. It's I, also season seven, maybe episode seven or so, when Blanche meets this guy who was a soldier in the Iraq war, Desert Storm, and she can't remember him and he comes back. The opening of that episode, the first five minutes, it's, it's comedy perfection. All right, I think I've lost some of you, but I kept another special set of you, so there you go. Um, 
Part two of my interview with Ariel Scarcella, the card-carrying lesbian who left the left, is up on YouTube right now. The full episode is up early and ad-free at rubenreport.locals.com. And tomorrow we've got a, a really interesting panel. So we're gonna do another recap of the, the news of the week in essence. Dr. Simone Gold, she is the doctor who we played the video of yesterday, who over the summer was screaming about uh, HQC and was screaming about how we can solve the COVID without lockdowns and everything else. We've got her on, uh, David Harris Jr. I've been on his show a couple times, real, uh, real fighter for his beliefs. And Stu Bergery from Blaze, who's a good guy who I've been on his show many times. Uh, we will all be doing that at 11 o'clock tomorrow, unless I go to the dentist right now and they literally just remove my face, in which case we probably won't do a show tomorrow. Anyway, I think I'm off to get root canal. Ah, is my face blown up? It feels like my face is like blown up. You know, not blown up. All right. Anyway, have a great day, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. Be proud of America and who you are. Let's fix this thing. I'm in it. You're in it. That's all. See ya. God bless America. Love ya. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.